This morning, I am so excited for you to hear from Pastor Ben Griffin. Ben serves as our near director here at Westwood. He's also the proud father of three teenagers and has been married for over 20 years to his wife, Kate. Ben has served in various pastoral roles in several churches. In 2007, he planted and served as lead pastor of the Alley Church. And in his time leading the Alley Church, the church was so blessed in reaching so many new believers for Christ that they launched two daughter churches. In 2017, Ben assumed the role of executive director for Link Twin Cities. And within his role at Link, Ben oversees the development of a diverse group of leaders as they bring their God-given ministry dreams to reality. It's so exciting to see what's happening in our broader Twin Cities. This past December, as we were searching for someone to assume the role of near director at Westwood, I had a GP, a God prompting, and I followed it and reached out to Ben and said, would you consider the position of near director at Westwood Church? And I knew of his reputation, the work that he was already doing to equip leaders and church planters in the Twin Cities, and I just prayed that he would be open to serving in this role here at Westwood. And so we were absolutely thrilled and in awe of God's work in this regard when he said yes to the invitation. And since joining our team in January, Ben has been a catalyst in growing our near ministry with his heart to see everyone in our city experience the gospel in terms they can understand from someone they know. In his free time, Ben produces short ministry-related videos, he kayaks, and he watches way too many superhero movies. So please, Westwood, join me in giving a very warm welcome to Pastor Ben Griffin. Well, hello, Westwood family. It is really an honor to be here with you to get to speak, talk about the Word of God. Uh, as said earlier, my name is Ben. A special welcome to everybody across all of Westwood's campuses and those who are online. This is the second week in our series called Summer Games, and today we're going to talk about passing on the torch. Now, that phrase usually means passing on from one generation to the next those things that are most important. So we could really summarize that with just saying passing on a legacy. So the question today is, what is the legacy? What, what are we passing on? And, and the question we're going to answer today is how to leave a spiritual legacy. How do we leave a spiritual legacy? Now there's a day coming for every one of us where a group of people is gonna gather around and they're gonna talk about what your legacy is. And we don't like to, we don't usually think about it in these terms, but that's, that's what a funeral is. A, gra a group of people gathering around and talking about what is your legacy. And you might be thinking, man, like, I didn't want to think about my own mortality today. This is a holiday weekend. This should be fun and uplifting, right? Well, well here's the reality. Uh, the death rate is still hovering right around 100%. So <laughs> this message should hit home in one way or another for all of us. This is a reality that our legacies are a real thing. That day is coming. And as we think about that, I want to talk about those legacy events and kind of pull from there. Uh, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity to be in those intimate legacy moment funerals with, with so many people over the years, uh, but you never forget the first one. And I, I know when I was at the seminary, I, I dreamed like of, of leading funerals. I didn't dream of doing it, but I, I dreamt that it would be the, always for people who I'd known for all decades of life who had these long, full moments of, that where I had shared with them and I could talk about the legacy because I knew them. What I didn't know 
is that the majority of the funerals I would do, and I don't know if this is true for most pastors, but it is true for me, the majority of funerals I've done are for people who I didn't have the privilege of knowing while they were alive. And so immediately the first thing you do is you put on the detective hat and you go, okay, like help me know who this person is. What is the legacy they're leaving so we can honor that? We're gonna talk about Jesus and hope in him and we wanna honor the person alongside of that. So my first funeral, I uh, was an intern pastor and the senior was gone, and so I was called up. And man, so I'm doing the detective work, and I'm asking those questions. And there were two phrases that emphasized this woman's life. And everybody called her mama, so I'll just call her mama from now on. Every, mama's life was sum, summed up in two phrases. So I'm, I'm listening to them, and the first one is this. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, like, I, I'm probably not going to be able to preach that one. Like, so... <laughs> So what else, you know, tell me some more about her. Who is she? And, and they, there was only one other main phrase that, that I picked up that day in conversation. And it was, mama wanted to be buried face down because everybody could kiss her backside. <laughs> I'm definitely not preaching that one. So come back around. I think the message title was something like, if mama's with Jesus, mama's happy. <laughs> and that was it. That was mama's legacy. That probably isn't the legacy most of us here go, that's what I want my legacy to be, but that was mama's legacy. And as the, over the years, as I've been a part of all of these legacy events, these, these funerals, these intimate family moments with person after person, I've noticed a pattern. And that is that there is a difference between eulogy values and resume values. Like the things that we spend the majority of our life focused on, spending time on, building. Those are the resume values, the, the accolades, the, the business acumen, the letters after our name, the things that we've accumulated, the places that we own, the, play, the things that we have done. Those are all the resume values. They're really impressive. They seem really impressive. But oddly enough, at our legacy events, and every one of us is gonna have one of those, those aren't the things most people talk about. Those aren't the values that come up. In fact, eulogy values are almost always relational based. Hey, this event that happened, this funny thing that went on, this he was always there for me, she always knew the right thing to say, this, this story, that thing. Eulogy values and resume values are two very different things. Two very different things. There was another legacy event, funeral I was a part of a couple years ago, a man by the name of Henry Gimble. And Henry had all of the resume values that everybody's looking for. Henry was an adult convert from Judaism to Christianity. And Henry was a business owner, a very successful one. He ran a store called Gimbel's. Not, if you've seen Elf, it's not that one, but it was a musical one. And uh, it, it, uh, music store, technology, TVs, all sorts of things like that. And Gimbel's was very successful. And over the years, he met so many famous people. In fact, Henry, one of his things, like he just always had a story. Just one of those guys. And Henry, one of his favorite stories to tell was how he met Elvis in the bathroom and man, lots of hilarity ensued. I don't have time to get into it. It's kind of a rabbit trail, but, but man, the guy had a full resume-filled life. Yet at his legacy event, at his funeral, that was barely mentioned. Even Elvis barely mentioned. Here's what we heard. Over and over again. Henry was there when I needed him. 
Henry always knew how to cheer me up. Henry had a story. Henry noticed me. Henry made sure I didn't feel alone. He had three daughters. All three of his daughters, he told each one of them that they were his favorite daughter. (laughs) And at this legacy event, all three of his daughters said, and I felt like I was his favorite daughter. I mean, that's a eulogy value. That's so powerful. Yet we spend so much of our lives chasing resumes. And so little of that actually echoes on to the next generation. And this is what we're talking about today is passing on the torch to the next generation. So I want to ask this question of us. What legacy, what, what spiritual passing of the torch will this generation leave for the next? What will be our legacy? Psalm 145 says this. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. This is a legacy psalm. So this is written by King David and we just read it earlier in worship here. Written by King David and it's, it's the last psalm in the book of Psalms that's attributed to David and it's the last chapter of his book of Psalms for what, for what, he's, what he's written. And he's saying, let each generation pass it on. Tell its children of the glory of God, of the splendor of God, of the majesty of God, of the goodness of God. Let them know because you have echoed it into them. And then not only that, he writes Psalm 145 as an acrostic, which, which means that each line starts with a different letter of the alphabet in order. So in English, it would be A, B, C, D, but it's in Hebrew. So it's Aleph, Bet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he's saying to them, pass it on. And look, I've packaged this Psalm in such a way that it's easier to pass on to others, to learn, to memorize, pass it on. Jesus also had legacy words in fact, he had quite a few, but I just want to focus on a couple of him, a couple of them. So Jesus had spent a, a good amount of time, years with his disciples, sharing life with them, walking with them, growing with them. And then he died and then he rose from the dead. Kind of a big deal. Agreed. And then he says these words to his disciples, what we know is the great commission. So he's physically leaving them, but he says, I'm always with you, but he's physically leaving them. And he says this, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. And by the way, the word go there, it's it's a verb form that means while you're going about. So in the everyday things of your life, as you go about doing life, as you're going, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So in the Great Commission, Jesus is leaving and he's saying to them now, as you're going about, make disciples. He's essentially saying to them, I have intentionally invested in you. Now you go do the same and pass it on to others. And I would say, arguably, this is the third greatest command that Jesus gives us to pass it on. And when we see that, because uh, the scholars came to Jesus at the time and they said, they said, hey, what's the greatest command that God ever gave? Now, one thing seems universally true. Scholars like to argue about things. So today they argue about certain things. In those days they were arguing about, well, what's the greatest command God gave? And everybody had a different thought on that. Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And they said the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so those are the two, first two, but he's quoting there the Shema, which is an Old Testament passage. So let's take a look at that and we'll pull out here again the third great command. Listen, O Israel, the Lord, this is from Deuteronomy 6, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All of it. Man, that's just a word we can't wiggle around in scripture. All. Do you know what the Hebrew word translates to? You know what the Hebrew word for all is? All. It's everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving to you. Now, so first, love God, but look what comes next. Verse seven, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. It's kind of like Jesus said, while you were going, in every moment of life, in the everyday moments of life, pass it on. And so we could summarize the three great commands as love God, love others, and pass it on. And notice again, the context of this is not institutional, it's relational. It's as you were going. It's, it's it, when you wake up. It's, it's in your home. It, the, the primary classroom for fostering faith is not the physical classroom. It is the kitchen table. It's the, the uh, living room. It's the everyday places that we live in. Pass it on. Love God. Love others. Pass it on. So let me ask you all uh, what I think is a very sobering question. How do you think our generation today is doing at passing on the faith to the next, of passing the torch of faith to the next generation? What would you say? If you're just giving me a physical, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Not, not great. We're not doing great. It, people, so many people, droves of people who grew up in churches are leaving them. Our kids are leaving them. And if you've grown up around church at all, you've probably heard about Joshua in this passage. Joshua is the one that Moses passed the torch onto of leadership. He led the people of Israel into the promised land. And he says these words. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right, we know that. But did you know what happens immediately after that? The next generation. Look at Judges chapter two. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord, so catch this, the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. So the generation of Joshua, they served the Lord. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. They witnessed these things of God, they served the Lord. But then, verse 8, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Now, catch this verse. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Do you see that? Here's Joshua. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The next generation arose. They didn't acknowledge or even know the things that God had done. 
I don't know what your grandparents' stories are, but they had some pretty good grandparent stories, right? Hey, so let me tell you about the time that we were running away from the Egyptians and God took that sea, you know that giant sea over there? Like he parted it and we walked through the center of it. How do you not pass that on? Or, or the time that Joshua is leading them into the promised land and they come up against the city of Jericho with its fortified walls and God's plan was send in the musicians first and it worked. <laughs> like how, how do they forget that? The power of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God, the mighty acts of God. And how are we not passing on the mighty acts of God that we have seen, witnessed, and heard to the next generation. In my job, I work with a lot of immigrant pastors, a lot of immigrant churches, and one of the most common issues that is across the board and thing that we hear about all the time is they say, we're losing our kids. They say they're being Americanized. They're walking away from the faith. They, they go off to college and they never come back to, to the faith again. And they come, they come asking for help and in that conversation over and over and over again, I land at the same place. This is not an immigrant problem. This is a generational problem. This is the generational problem. Uh, we were having a conversation with the Here Near Far team and, and Heather Wilford, who leads that team, asked this question. She said, what is the most unreached people group in the Twin Cities? I don't know how you would answer that, uh, you know, we were talking through, is it the Somalis? Is it the Hmong? I mean, there's, there's all, all different avenues you could think through there. But the answer that we came to is that the most, the largest and most unreached people group in the Twin Cities is the next generation. The largest and most unreached people group, regardless of ethnic background, is the next generation. And then Grace, also on our team, not in that meeting, but we were talking this week, she shared, she shared that that is also the most reachable generation. Not only are they more connected so that we can reach them technology and communications wise, but they are so hungry for people to speak into their lives. So hungry for it. So the question here is, what do we do about this? Uh, was uh, heard a speaker kind of in a small group who came and talked about this topic or uh, kind of a related topic. And he was talking about this and he came at it from this angle. He said, in our society, we have an absent parent, ish absent parent issue. And I think anecdotally, if, not, if we don't get all the stats, we all anecdotally kind of know that's caused a lot of issues in our society. If you look at areas of trouble and struggle, that there are, that there are issues and complicated issues to talk through but there are issues with absent parents. But he made this turn and I thought this was incredibly convicting. He said, we have an absent parent issue in our society and we have an absent spiritual parenting issue in the church. Can I say that again? We have an absent parent issue in our society. We have an absent spiritual parent issue in our church. He said uh, the statistics from his work and experience is that one out of four of active churchgoers, those who are watching online right now, those who are here on holiday weekend, worshiping and learning, says one out of four active Christians would say that they do not have a spiritual parent. That means the majority of this room. 
Wow. I mean, that just hit me to the core. Wow. And maybe you're going, maybe you're going, I praise God I do have that. Thank you. And maybe like the majority of us in here, you're going, nobody's ever done that for me. That person who knows me, speaks into my life, helps me to grow, is, is involved in my life in such a way that they are helping foster my spiritual growth. Uh, aren't we all hungry for that? Aren't we all starving for that? Uh, one of the hats I wear with Link, the nonprofit that Pastor Joel mentioned, uh, we help, like we get churches off the ground, another, a number of other gospel-centered organizations, and one of them is a micro-school um, and a micro-school movement, really, which is kind of a modern take on the one-room schoolhouse. But the leader there, her name is Alfreda, she shared this quote with me. She said, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. We cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. And the question I think Vadi is, is challenging us to really think about here is have we abdicated our role in teaching and raising the next generation? So, Because whose job is it to pass it on? Whose job is it to pass it on to the next generation? Psalm 78 says this, he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So, verse seven, each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Hold on, I just skipped a page. And obeying his commands. How will they know? How will the children's children's, how will our children's children's children know? It is a generational responsibility. So those of you in here are going, this really doesn't apply to me because I'm not a parent. It does apply to you. Because we need a generation to step up to, to be spiritual parents to the next generation. I'll say as a, as a father, I am so thankful for the spiritual parents that have come alongside of us and our children and have spoken into their lives. Unbelievable the impact that it has had. I'm so, so thankful for that. It is a generational responsibility. It is a generational calling. And, 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 and I'd say it this way. If you are a follower of Jesus... You are called to be a spiritual parent. If I were to say, who's a follower of Jesus, and you raise your hand, that same hand would, would, should go up when I say, who's called to be a spiritual parent? We are, all of us. And you might be going, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. I'm one of the 75%. I don't have a spiritual parent. How am I supposed to do this when I don't have one? Well, listen, yes, that is, let's pray about that. Let's seek that. Let's ask for those people. They are there Let's pray, Lord, would you help provide that? And you know the depth and need for the hunger for a spiritual parent and you can help fill that gap for somebody else. You can help fill that gap for somebody else. So what does it practically look like to be a spiritual parent? And I'm gonna give you three things. Those of you who are note takers, I'm gonna go through them one by one. So I'm just gonna say them all first and then go through them. One is invite someone in. Two is let them see your faith in Jesus. And three is make unhurried quality time a priority. So number one, what does it practically look like to be a spiritual parent? Invite someone in. 
this is way simpler than we make it. We, in, in church world, we call this discipleship, and, and discipleship gets so confusing. It's like, here's our discipleship path or plan, and, and it can get, we can get lost in those kinds of things. It's so simple, and this is what Jesus did. He invited his disciples to live life with him. There's a saying, a rabbinical saying, may you follow your rabbi so closely that you are covered in their dust of their sandals. That you live life with them so closely that wherever they go, the dust from their sandals is on you. Jesus invited his disciples in and what we see in the gospels is he shares, he preaches here and there, he shares sermons, he goes to the synagogues, but the majority of the learning, the classroom, the place that faith is fostered for the disciples is in the everyday interactions in life that Jesus shared with them. Invite someone in. Years ago, I was preaching through the book of Hebrews and I ran into this word that it confused me because it was translated differently in different places. So it, it, in one place, it said warn. So, so it said, do not neglect to warn one another. In another English translation, the same word was translated as encourage. Do not neglect to encourage one another. And it's like, okay, well, what word can be both encourage and warn? And it's the word parakaleo. Parakaleo in Greek literally translates as come alongside of, to come alongside of. Now, that may not answer it for you. It didn't for me. I had to think about it more. So, so here's, here's kind of how I picture this. Have you ever been on the road and, and witnessed somebody else who is a terrible driver <laughs> on your way to church? <laughs> yeah, I've been there. In fact, one time I was stuck behind somebody and he was going slow and like, he was just really frustrating me and things came out of my heart that were not things I want to share here in church publicly. And, and that, that, that's, and I, and I, you know, yeah, sometimes you just pull up next to him because you just want to see him. <laughs> Who's in that? Who's in that car? If people are looking at you all the time, you might want to think about that too. <laughs> and I looked over and it was an elder from my church. <laughs> and my, I did that look. And like I was kind of given that look like, and it turned into a big smile and a wave. Hey! <laughs> You know how when you see another driver in a, ba a, a, a bad driver in another car, it, it's easy to have some harsh feelings. It's a whole nother experience when that bad driver is in the car with you. Agreed? Some of you are like, throwing an elbow, don't do that. But if you've ever had the experience, and I've done this three times, of being in the car with someone when they drive for the first time, oh my goodness, wow. Like uh, somebody, I, I can't remember who, I think it was Ben Rosenbush was telling us about somebody who they got in the car and they were just driving like this because that's, you know, that's what you see people do. Like that's, that's not going to translate well to the road. Yeah, that's just not going to work. Well, first time in the car with, my, with, with each of my kids, terrifying experience. But I suddenly understand parakaleo. Parakaleo is I'm in this with you. I'm right alongside of you. And when I'm right alongside of you in the vehicle, I get encouraged and warn. Like, hey, son, you're doing great. This is awesome. Yep, yep, keep, keep a good following distance. You're doing great. And that's encourage. But there's also warn. Like, hey, curb, 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 child, move. <laughs> it makes sense. I both encourage and I warn because I'm in this with you. 
invite someone in. And, and just an aside, and there's a whole other message to be taught on this, but in the, in the New Testament, there's a word used for the Holy Spirit that you've probably heard of, the paraclete is a derivative of the same word. So the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside of us, who is in this with us. And we, we through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, do that when we're in this with others. Invite them in. Second one, let them see your faith in Jesus at work through the good days and the bad days. Now, over the years, uh, we have had people live with us for many different seasons and for many different reasons. And one thing that happens when somebody lives in your house, like there's, there's, this, there's a certain amount of time that you can kind of hold up your best self. <laughs> there's a certain amount of time that your living room looks its best. Am I right? Whether that be a week or a month, but after, there's a certain period, it just breaks down for all of us. And when somebody shares a home with you, there's just no hiding. There are good days and there are bad days. You see it all. One time a family moved in with us for, for a period of time, an Ethiopian family in transition. And they were actually really nervous about moving in with us because they had heard that white Christians were not actually real Christians. They heard that we worship football, not Jesus. I wonder where they got that idea. And so they moved in with us and uh, for that period of time, we had a lot of great good days. They saw us at our good days, we saw them at their bad days, our good days, and we saw them at bad days and they saw us at bad days. I mean, during that time, I remember coming home once, 11 o'clock at night, late for us, but they're up, the whole family, and they're just praying. And wow, just praying. And I, during that period of time is when we received what would turn out to be a fatal diagnosis for my mother-in-law. They were there with us as we wrestled through those things, those initial figuring that out. There's no hiding. It's the good days and the bad days. And this is really important because some of us feel like spiritual parenting is, I'm gonna tell you all the things I've learned and figured out versus let me show you all the things that, man, I'm wrestling with and I am seeing God faithful in. Because let's ask this question. When do people most see our faith at work? In the good things or the bad things? The bad, like, like we're, the book of Peter tells us to always have a reason for the hope that we have. Nobody asks you why you have hope when things are going great. Hey, as you're out on your boat today, hey, why are you guys so hopeful? <laughs> no, but when you're going through pain and sorrow and struggle and a hard diagnosis or whatever it me means, what are people thinking if they're not saying it out loud? Why are you so hopeful? Well, we have hope because of Jesus. So let's let people see that in the good days and the bad days. We're in this alongside of each other. And the third one is this. Make unhurried quality time with them a priority. This sounds so simple, but if we're honest, our resume values, our resume-driven culture competes with this constantly. It tells us what's most important right now is this thing, that thing, and we're always pushing off those things that actually are become, actually become those, res, those eulogy values. Um, this is, this is uh, my, my kids, biological kids and one of my spiritual kids. And uh, Leland sitting on the lap there is, is uh, one of my spiritual kids. And this is uh, a couple years ago, um, 
our neighbors. Leland and his family were our neighbors. And his father, Chow, received a stage four cancer diagnosis. And God used that cancer to bring him to the Lord. Very powerful. But in the relationship with Cha, and we met regularly and, and talked and prayed and other things, Cha asked me one day, he said, when I, when I pass away, he said, will you be like a father to my son? And that is a, that's a serious request. Yeah, I'd be honored to. And that, that picture, by the way, that picture was from Father's Day. We spend every Father's Day together and, and, and try and get regular times as much as possible in between that. But let me tell you, it's not always easy. Like, I have teenagers. Teenagers require something very different from you than eight-year-olds, right? My teenagers usually don't even talk to me till afternoon, if at all, <laughs> right? This is the age where, like, if they talk to me, at, like I had a conversation with my kids, like, I, I will, like, I'm not a diary guy, but I will find a diary and be like, they talked to me today. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. But when they're eight years old, they want everything from you. Every moment, every ounce of energy, every ounce of your attention. And it can be so tempting in our limited time with Leland to put a screen in front of him instead of hang out with him. It can be so tempting to sit on the back porch with a lemonade instead of putting our time into hanging out with him. And I'll tell you, there is nothing more valuable than an unhurried quality time invested in that next generation for us investing in Leland and the other ones like him. And who is that? Who are they in your sphere, in your circles? Who are those Lelands? Who is God calling you to engage? Now hear this, the thing that Leland wants to do every time we get together. Like we do all sorts of fun stuff. We ride bikes, we play games, we do all sorts of fun stuff. The number one thing he asks for and begs for every time is that we would just have dinner together as a family. It's his favorite thing. Are we doing dinner tonight? Are we sitting? And it doesn't, it's not the food. It's the, it's the time. It's the people. It's the unhurried quality time at the table. Like being a spiritual parent does not, like all of us are eat. All of us eat, right? Like do that with other people. Wow. What a takeaway. He just wants and treasures that time together. That is his favorite that quiet time, not, well, with Leland, not so quiet time, that engaging time, that relational time, that shared time, that unhurried time. So we've been given a command. Love God, love others, pass it on. We felt, many of us, what it is not to have a spiritual parent. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a spiritual parent. At the end of our lives, there's gonna be a legacy event and I wonder what, what will be said because those resume values will hardly be mentioned. What will those eulogy values be that are shared? And what will it be for this generation? Passing on our legacy to the next. Uh, I had a friend tell me once, he said, if you don't put into action something you're convicted of in a, in a message, if you don't put it into action within 72 hours, you won't put it into, you probably won't put it into action. And I have no statistical data to back that up, but it sounds like a great thing for a preacher to say, right? <laughs> 72 hours. And this is such an important thing. To, to, to actually think and pray on God, who in my sphere are you calling me to invite in, to share the good days and the bad days, 
and to have unhurried quality time with. And let me bring it together with this, Psalm 145 rephrased. May it be said of the next generation today, this generation told its children of your mighty acts and they now proclaim your power. May that be the legacy that we leave in passing the torch on to the next. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord, I feel the burden of the next generation, and I I know many in here, many online, many listening to this do as well. And Lord, I know it is beyond us, but Lord, you have called us to this, and you empower us to those things that you have called us to. I pray, Lord God, that you would send your Holy Spirit alongside of us to work among us and alongside of us. That, Lord, we would not neglect your call and command to us to love you, to love others, and to pass it on. Lord, may the Lelands in our circles know the goodness of who you are and may their children's children's children pass it on and renew their hope in you. In your name I pray. Amen.